0: Greetings, God's Story podcast listeners. You may have heard that we were planning to go back to our old schedule of releasing one episode per week. Good news! We've changed our minds. We've got so many great episodes in the can already, and so many great guests lined up that it would take forever to get through them all. So we're sticking with releasing new episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. And now on with today's podcast. Today's podcast. Do you want to find out about God's alternate reality? Well, join us now for this next episode of the God's Story podcast. Hello once again to you. I'm Brent Siddle, and I'm joined once again by the Reverend Ian Reed Rideau of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North New Zealand. Ian, welcome back to the show. Hi, Brent. How are you? I'm very well, and we've had a bit of a summer break. You've had a summer break. We're just uh, commenting on how beautiful the weather is over here in New Zealand, in this part of New Zealand.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. I've seen the sun, which is good, which is rare for us in Palmerston North.
0: It it is rare for us in Palmerston North, but I don't live in Palmerston, but you do. It's where your church is, but it has been beautiful weather travelling over today. Well, we're back in the letter to the Hebrews, and this time, Ian, we're looking at chapter 11, verses 17 to 40. And um, we're going to be talking, or you're going to be talking to us, about God's alternate reality. Why do you think we all enjoy... Exploring alternate reality?
1: It's a good question, but there's so many stories kind of based on that, isn't there? There I mean books or, or movies that have this kind of alternate reality where maybe I'm a wizard or maybe I'm, you know, kind of born a, as a, a god or something like that and it's been hidden for so long and then all of a sudden that gets revealed and there's this other reality that I I'm kind of a part of but no one else realizes. Uh, and it's kind of exciting when you think of it if that's if that was true, wouldn't it? You know, kind of your you actually have superpowers and no one else realises and you can kind of use them somehow?
0: I have long realised you have superpowers, brother. Really? Which, what are they? Oh, they're superpowers of preaching and Bible teaching, which is good enough for me. Okay. <laughs> How does the Bible present us with an alternate reality?
1: Well, I think there's kind of different aspects of that, but the, the thing is that what we see around us is not all that there is. And so there is the story going on in the world around us in the kingdoms and the empires that are being lived around us in our in our daily lives but there's a bigger reality beyond that that we don't see in that this is actually God's story from beginning to end uh, that his reality his alternate reality is coming to its fruition it's it's coming to its consummation its end uh, and God is the one ordaining that and but we have to have eyes to be able to see that
0: what sort of alternate reality or realities? Because I suppose he's got more than one. Does God actually have?
1: Well, the the one thing that he what what is he doing? That that's the that's the thing. And what we've been exploring through our podcast and what we see from the Bible is that from beginning to end, what is God really doing? And it's coming to uh, be with his people. Ultimately, we see that right in the beginning, we see that. Uh, clearly through uh, the Old Testament, with God being with with Israel, but then most clearly when Jesus enters this world. And that's what we get to celebrate at Christmas, which we had recently. uh, But uh, we see that that's not the final end of it either, that God is coming back uh, to ultimately live with his people forever.
0: Yeah, how does the author of Hebrews show in chapter 11 that God's invisible or alternate reality will eventually become real?
1: Well, he presents us with all of these figures, these, the cloud of witnesses, they're called. Mm. Uh, these people all throughout the Old Testament who saw that alternate reality, who lived it out, some of them very imperfectly, we might say, which should be uh, a, a kind of a, a good thing for us, that we can point to these people and say, they saw that reality, but they didn't always live it out in the way that they should have. Uh, but it's this idea that they see what God is really doing, Uh, and they live it out in this world right now.
0: Yeah, how did the people we saw in in the chapter last time, because we were talking about chapter 11 last time, today I should say we're coming on to look at chapter 11, verses 17 to 40, 17 to 40 of chapter 11 today. But how did the people we saw in this chapter last time sense and grasp this alternate reality by faith? Well, God kind of
1: gave them that vision of what he was doing, and it's by faith that they receive it. So we have all of these different people we have, Uh, kind of particularly Abraham is the big one that kind of pops up that God gives him this vision of what he's really doing Uh, and that's where it kind of ends it it begins with Adam and it kind of flows down through the different people Uh, but it ends with Abraham and his covenant and what does Hebrews say? It's by faith that they received this, even though they didn't see the end of it, even though they didn't see it coming to its conclusion. It's by faith that they received it, that God was going to do it. And even though they don't receive it, they continue on believing.
0: In what sense did they see God bringing a better world into reality, though? Yeah, that's
1: a really good question, isn't it? That what they saw around them was not all that there was. And so you have with people like Noah and Abraham... Who do some pretty daring things? Abraham leaves his family, which, in that kind of culture, was a big no-no because that was your security. That's what that was where your safety was, both financially, uh, but also physically. That if you went away from your family, you you lose your security, uh, in all senses. But they had enough faith in God that God would protect them, and you see that uh, with the promises that that God gives Abraham, the promises that He gives Isaac and Jacob, that He says to them, "I will be your protector. I will be." the one who will provide for you, I'll be the one who will keep you secure.
0: What did we learn then last time from chapter 11 about faith and how faith works?
1: Yeah, you've got this beautiful uh, little bit in chapter 11, don't we, about faith. Let me just try and find uh, the verse.
0: I'm very impressed to see that you have Greek on your screen. All I can see is the Greek on the far right of your screen. You've got, oh, you have got you have got it in English too. I thought for a minute that you were reading it totally from the first century Greek, but you're not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm very relieved about that.
1: <laughs> you have uh, right at the beginning there in, of chapter 11, the first three verses really in, now interesting, aren't they? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of, conviction of things not seen. For By it, the people of the old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible, things that are hoped for but not received. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of a logical thing, isn't it, that you, you don't have faith that you're going to receive something if, if you've already received it. You don't have hope for something that you're already going to receive it as well.
0: Mm-hmm. What was the response of these people of faith to the reality that God showed them then?
1: Well, you have some people responding immediately and just, like Abraham, what does it, what does it say? He, he went, you know, he mm-hmm. got up and goes and, mm-hmm. and does exactly what, what God told him to do. Noah, probably similarly, Uh, But then as we work through the rest of the chapter, you have different responses, which is quite interesting. You've got people like Gideon in there who don't respond well, particularly. You've got Barak and other people who are a bit stupid, you might say, but silly in, in the way that they do respond. So on the whole, you have people who you might uphold as kind of these are models of faith, who we would re- re- say are models of faith, but you've got others in there who you think, they're, they're not a good model of faith. Why are they in this list? This is kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, some of them are fairly flawed characters. Well, all of them are, really, to a greater or lesser extent. Yeah, I suppose. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Why does the writer give us all these examples of faith to encourage us, do you think? Well, I think
1: it's to sh- show that it's... Firstly, I, th- I think it's it's to show that the way that we respond... to to what God is hoping for us it's not up to our faith but God's faithfulness in that which is a different kind of way of understanding it that it's not the faith as a kind of a mystical kind of thing but it's God's faithfulness to us as his people and all of these people they were not perfect people they are not models of people that we need to say hey look at that person you be like them Uh, but it's the way that they lived out that faith, that that's important to kind of look at. And all of them ultimately are pointing to the faithful one, which is Jesus, because uh, he's the only one that lives this out perfectly.
0: Yes, and we come back to the subject of grace again, don't we? So uh, let's start into verses 17 to 22, chapter 11, which is the beginning of the passage we're looking at today. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, that's an interesting one, Ian. Uh, there we are. That's to verse 22. So how does the writer pick up again on the story of Abraham here in verse 17?
1: He starts with Isaac. In this little section, uh, and which is quite interesting, that all of the hope of the world, all of these covenant promises that God gives gives to Abraham, they really rest on Isaac. And God says to him, "Take your son, go up onto this mountain and sacrifice him." Now, that's just bizarre, isn't it? To kind of think of one, you you've got kind of a clear contravention of his his law uh, in sacrificing. Uh, a, a child but also kind of you know killing another human being but even more than that if God uh, kind of if, if Abraham uh, kills his son all of those coming up promises are going going to be undone they can't be fulfilled what, what's going to happen Abraham and, and Sarah so old how they're going to have more children what, what's going to happen uh, so it's a huge act of faith for Abraham to do this uh, because he must trust that God somehow is going to do work his way kind of through this and to fulfill those covenant promises.
0: Yeah, how? Do, I think you've probably already answered the question. How does the writer refer back there to Genesis 22?
1: Yeah, and, and it's, it's quite an interesting story. It's, it's worth going back to Genesis 22 and, and having a read of it uh, and to see that this is one of the most pivotal moments in the Old Testament, uh, that if Isaac dies, God's plan... For coming and dwelling with his people, it's all over. It can't. It can't actually happen. So, what is God actually going to do through this?
0: And in what ways does Abraham trust God here? Then, well, he's trusting God that
1: God will actually fulfil His covenant promises somehow, you know, and that if God has asked him to do this, then he needs to go do it. And he's not. And what you have before this, you have uh, Sarah saying to Abraham, "Go and." Um, sleep with Hagar, my maidservant. That'll fulfill the covenant promises. And they, ha- they have a son. Uh, and But it doesn't fulfill the covenant promises. But it's only because they, they, they're they trying to play God in that kind of role. But here, Abraham doesn't do that. He doesn't try and play God. He actually fulfills what God wants him to do. And you have these kind of things all the way through uh, that Abraham's kind of story where he kind of steps in and tries to get in the way of what God is trying to do. So twice... I think it is. That he tries to sell Sarah off as his sister rather than his wife, so that they can kind of be protected. You've got all these moments where he doesn't really trust God, but there's this one pivotal moment where he does. Mm.
0: In what ways does Abraham understand here, but he doesn't see the true reality around him? I suppose how does he see the or sense the alternate reality?
1: Well, I think he must he must know that what God is going to do must be beyond what he can see around him. That even if Isaac does die, that maybe he'll be resurrected. Maybe something will happen here. Yeah.
0: How does Abraham have the sight to see the invisible?
1: Well, I I don't think it's anything in Abraham himself. It's not like he's kind of just suddenly kind of being able to see it, you know, kind of he's had some, gone up to the mountain and it's, it kind of been implanted kind of in some way uh, but I think it's I think it's bigger than that that God is the one that's spoken to him God is the one that's called him out and God is the one that's showing him what's really that real reality it has to actually come from the outside rather than from the inside
0: how are our lives lived differently then in God's alternate reality
1: well we have to live to God's end rather than our end ultimately, which is what exactly what Abraham does. He doesn't inherit the land. He doesn't get everything that we would think He's still a wealthy person, uh, but he doesn't get everything that you would kind of expect him to get. Uh, but he lives to God's ends rather than his own ends.
0: How does the passage go on to explore the faith of Isaac, Jacob and Joseph?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That That it kind of, it looks forward and goes through those different characters uh, in saying, you know, First you've got verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau, which was un, kind of the way that that works out is kind of odd and un- uncommon for the time. You've got faith that Jacob, he goes on and blesses Joseph and others and speaks about uh, the future kind of coming. That, that So Joseph goes on and speaks about the future of what, what's happening. Uh, but you've got in all of them, they're speaking about a future reality that's coming, aren't they? That when you speak... A kind of a blessing. What are you doing? You're speaking about the future. And so they're kind of doing what God was doing in giving them the covenant, that they're saying, this is what the reality will look like.
0: In what ways does Joseph see God's alternate reality?
1: Well, you've got it both in his life. You know, I've just been reading through uh, Genesis again, and you, you definitely have it in his life that when his brothers come, you know, he's a prime minister at the time, his brothers come to him. And he says to them, you know, they're scared when he reveals who he is. And he says, don't be afraid. God ordained this so that we could save people rather than, you you know, kind of. And, and to preserve you as a family, don't worry that you sold me off into slavery. You know, personally, you know, you kind of have a 40-year grudge. would probably drive you for the rest of your life, wouldn't you, if your brothers put you down a well and sold you off into slavery. But... Uh, He doesn't do that, which is a really interesting thing, that he sees that God is ordaining the steps along the way for a bigger purpose, a purpose even beyond himself. And so he's able to strip away his own kind of hatred, his own kind of selfishness, and say, no, I'm going to give that over because God is something. Even in my suffering, God is doing something that's good.
0: I love the uh, story of Joseph. So we come to Moses, verses 23 to 28 of chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Okay, Rido, how does Moses trust God's alternate reality here? We see it in a number of little cases here don't
1: we? We see it both in his parents and if you read the story, it's also his sister is kind of a mm-hmm. part of that, which mm-hmm. is quite a beautiful uh, little part of that story. But you have it in himself that he is—he chooses to be ill-treated uh, because he sees, which is really interesting there in verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That you—you you have a sense of Moses understands what is going to happen in the future. Uh, that, and the writer of Hebrews is kind of. Whether they've added in the, the kind of Christ bit or not, um, you know, that, that's kind of can be up for discussion. But the idea that God's kingdom is bigger than Moses himself and it's bigger than Egypt and it's bigger than any renown that he can have in Egypt and he's willing to see beyond the kingdoms around him to mu- a much bigger kingdom that's really going on.
0: Once more, he's looking for the alternate reality or looking to the alternate reality. Mm-hmm. Why, why does Moses persevere according to verse 27 there?
1: Well, you have here, let me just read it again. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And it's that last little line that's really important, isn't it? He sees what is invisible. And that's kind of the theme that's running through chapter 11, uh, is that there is something invisible, a greater reality, something, something that we can't actually put our hand on right now. But we could, though. And this is what Moses kind of looks forward to in that the coming of the Christ will actually do that.
0: Mm. Okay, verses 29 to 31 of chapter 11. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. Seven days is a significant reader, isn't it? By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So how does the focus of the passage shift to the Israelites here in verse 29?
1: Yeah, like a, it's a little summary of, mm. of pretty much all of Exodus here, isn't it? Um, which is kind of beautiful. You know, you, can, you can kind of read Hebrews 11 and you pretty much get a summary of the whole Old Testament up to a point which is kind of, cool isn't it uh but but what do we have here again that it's the, the focus shifts away uh, from an individual so it was on abraham it wasn't isaac wasn't joseph Shifts away from moses onto the people which is quite interesting as well and look w- look what they do they they themselves have caught that vision of the alternate reality what do they see they see that what god is doing and so even though the egyptians are behind them even though the egyptians are going to kind of run them off what do they do? They trust that God will take them through, which He does. Uh, and then you've got them entering the land in verse uh, 30 with with Joseph, Moses uh, not with Joshua, not Joseph. Um, Moses is dead. What do they do? They're entering this land. They're, they're a bit afraid because they don't know what to do. Uh, Jericho is a huge, quite a large city. They could easily attack what do they do by faith they walk around they trust God again and do that so they see what God is doing
0: yeah what's the significance of the mention of rahab there in verse 31 because she is an extraordinary character in the in the scripture isn't she
1: and even look how how it even mentions her you know maybe you know it's, her second name seems to be the prostitute right and they, whenever she's mentioned in the old testament it, from the old testament it always kind of says that rahab the prostitute is just kind of like I don't think that's very fair as a person, <laughs> to, you know, to be mentioned as that. But she becomes such a significant figure mm. because you have this woman who's outside of the community. She's part of Jericho. She's outside of the community, but she becomes a part of the community, and she's so important uh, that she is, is it the great great grandmother of King David, something like that. You know, kind of. She's, a,
0: she's certainly one of the Lord Jesus Christ's ancestors. Yeah, and that's the thing, and is mentioned in his genealogy
1: in, in Matthew. Mm. Yeah. Honored in his
0: honored honored in his yeah, genealogy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. In, in, and the women in Jesus' genealogy are significantly pointed out as women who you wouldn't want in your genealogy, <laughs> but, right? A bit dodgy. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, it's a good word, but. Uh, what is, you know, Hebrews and other parts of the of the Bible, they honour these women because they, they, they're kind of, they're not the norm. They're not the kind of the upright people that we would expect. They're outside of the community, mm. but they come into the community from outside. Often they have kind of strange past, or they're not kind of the most honourable past or anything like that. So you've got uh, Ruth as well, who, who's kind of in that line who's a Moabite, you know, kind of, not someone that you want, you know, kind of, you know, around at Christmas or
0: anything like that. Yes. Well, uh, verse 32, the list goes on in verse 32, and what do we find? Uh, He carries on. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Jephthah's an interesting character. Of David and Samuel and the prophets. So uh, who do we find there, Rito, in that list?
1: I don't know why you've got David and Samuel with those other guys because those other guys are kind of, when you read Judges, they're they're not the greatest kind of models of of people. But isn't that the point? I think that's the point also, that God uses these people, that they saw the deeper reality that was going on. They were not perfect people. But God still uses those people.
0: And again, we come back to the theme of grace and the grace of, the, of God through the centuries, which we see outlined here in these passages, that, that these uh, people in themselves are, like all of us, deeply flawed. But hey, God uses them and they have, they see, they, they understand something of his alternate reality. How are we called to believe then in God's invisible reality?
1: Look what it says that they did look, look in verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms. It's this huge kind of thing that they're doing. Enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire. It goes on and on, the things that they are able to do. That God is the one working through them. not It's not in their own power, which is kind of interesting. You have these flawed characters who God uses to do these amazing things because he is the one working through them to bring about his Real reality, we might say, rather than, than an alternate reality. Even.
0: In what ways are we tempted today to stop believing in God's invisible reality, do you think? Well, there's just so many things to tempt us away, aren't there?
1: But no, it's the, the way that we live and the, the reality around us is no different to any other Christian or any other believer at any other point in time. And this is the thing that we need to to see, that the, the, the way that they lived... Uh, out their lives they were tempted in the same way that we are that there are things around us whether it's wealth or whether it's career you know, whether it's security things like that that pull us away from saying hey maybe if i put my trust in this thing over here then i'll have security then i'll have joy then i'll have peace rather than uh, in god himself
0: we carry on uh verses 33 to 38 uh, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I love that bit. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking, And flogging and even chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, all of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So what does faith achieve then in these verses? It doesn't sound... Like, it's great, does it, <laughs> to be a person of faith?
1: <laughs> look at the, you know, how does it describe them? You're kind of uh, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. You know, it's kind of, it's not something that, you, oh, that's what I'm going to grow up to be, you know? <laughs> You're kind of, as a young person, it's not what you desire. Uh, but there, but because we see that deeper reality, because we see that there's something that God is actually doing, that that is worth it, that just like Moses kind of saw that it was worth it because of the name of Christ. It should be for us as well.
0: How did these people by faith then bring God's invisible reality into being?
1: Well, their actual physical kind of going through these things uh, and maintaining their faithfulness kind of in that, that somehow God is able to use that and and work within it uh, and in the way that they continue to proclaim God's word continue to proclaim his promises, that somehow God uses it.
0: How can we bring heaven to Earth thinking about uh bringing God's alternate reality into uh, this reality in what uh what ways can we bring heaven to Earth at certain points? do you think that's a good question
1: and I think there there are lots of different ways that we can do it. I don't think there's any one single way that it happens, but I think we need to ask ourselves. What are the gifts that God has given me? What's the opportunities he's given me to love the people around me? But ultimately, that's what it is. It's loving those people that are around us, uh, looking after them, sharing what we have with them, uh, and using the opportunities in that to to tell people about the, the, the alternate reality that we live in.
0: In what ways does living this alternate reality bring us into conflict and disorientation with our culture?
1: It's living for a different end. And ultimately, it's living for its own end, and that's always going to bring conflict. When you set out on a path that that is clearly divergent to the people around you, you are always going to be bring kind of be in conflict with those people around us. And so, it shouldn't be a surprise when there is conflict, because we live for a different end, and we live live for a kind of a a different king and different kingdom, kind of in that. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't live for people you know it doesn't mean that we stop loving them it doesn't mean that we stop caring for them and being for them and i think that's a really important thing that we need to to see that that just because we live for a different kingdom doesn't mean uh, that we can't love people and can't and can't look after them
0: the last two verses verse 39 and all these though commended through their faith did not receive what was promised that's significant, isn't it? Mm. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So we come onto this theme of perfection again in Hebrews. What does verse thirty-nine tell us happened to these people? They did not well nothing because they didn't get it. <laughs> they didn't see it. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> they, they saw what was coming, but didn't actually receive it. It's got oh thanks, <laughs> You're kind of, you know. But it's it's they they kind of they did get it you know in the sense of uh, God received them uh, which is the most important thing and that's the, that's the important thing if what we've been seeing in Hebrews uh, is that all of these people are being held up as people of faith uh, that they weren't people who went back and worried um, kind of what what have we seen through through Hebrews about obedience to the law yes it was important as a way of showing your faith. Uh, But that is not what brought you into relationship with God. It was the faithfulness of God and our faith in him that brought us into relationship, and they received that.
0: I'm always puzzled about verse 40. What what does verse 40 actually mean? Thanks (laughs) for that. Well, I just want to repeat it. Uh, Since God had provided, they didn't receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? Um, But the first part, since God has provided
1: something better for us, it's clearly pointing to Jesus there, isn't it? That that there is something better for us and we see that fulfillment come into play when Jesus enters this world. And this is what uh, all of Hebrews has been arguing for, that Jesus is the one that brings the fulfillment to everything that we've been seeing in the Old Testament. He brings everything to the fulfillment of all of the characters in the Old Testament. They're all looking forward to this person Uh, who is coming so that's the first part but the second part that apart from us they should not be made perfect that we don't need to look to them as because they themselves were not perfected they were not perfected through the law it is only in jesus that they are also perfected
0: in what ways do we see the full and final reality i suppose the alternate reality that we've been talking about in what ways do we see the full and final reality that the old testament saints were promised
1: Well, we see it all in Jesus, and that's what we've really been discovering in Hebrews, isn't it? That they were all looking forward to that one point. And I think that that end of verse 40, the particular thing that it's trying to communicate is that they were perfected through Jesus just as we are perfected through Jesus, that we stand together with those people, that we are not different, we're not set apart from them, but together God has perfected us through uh, the one means, which is Jesus.
0: In concluding then, Rito, why should we persevere? Because it's true. <laughs> it's pretty
1: clear, isn't it? And this is, the, the we might say, the real reality that, that is actually around us, that even though we can't see it, uh, we know it's true because Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was resurrected and has now ascended and will return. Uh, and that, that is the end. That is the thing that we need to be living for because it's only in that uh, that will find meaning, that will find purpose in our lives, and I, th- I think ultimately that's the only place where we find joy as well.
0: In concluding, my final question: Why shouldn't we then mourn the loss of the past? I think when you preached on this, you made a point about us not mourning the loss of the past. Do you remember? No, I don't remember. But... Okay, we'll forget it <laughs> then.
1: <laughs> but, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't need to mourn the loss, because what is God doing? He's it, it, in terms of. I quite like history, and and I'm not saying we shouldn't think about the past at all, but what is God doing in and through the church? It's growing his people to something that is coming uh, in, in the future. Y-
0: yes, I right? think the point you might have made, if, if I remember rightly, was the fact that we shouldn't we shouldn't long for the past because in actual fact, we have an, a better alternate reality that is going to give us more promise that's ahead of us. I yeah. think that was the
1: just. Yeah, and I think, and I think in particular, what what happens is we look back and we say, "Oh, I wish it was like the fifties or the sixties or whatever whatever it was." Why can't it be like that? But when you think back to that, that was not the kingdom of God at that point. <laughs> the kingdom of God is coming. Uh, the The periods in the past they were not the kingdom of God. Uh, even though our minds might think that they were, that kingdom is coming, and we need to hope and long for that.
0: Mm. Rideau, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in New Zealand. Thank you once again. That brings us to the end of Hebrews chapter 11. And next time we're coming on in to look at the start of chapter 12. Thank you. Can't wait. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story podcast. If you want to help
1: us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God's Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com godstorypodcast. That's patreo dot slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.